I have questions for you. You don't need to answer these, but you do, you do need to think about them. I'm guessing the answers won't be too hard. Are you always faithful to the Lord? That's the first question. Are you always faithful to the Lord? Do you always have faith in God's promises and, and never doubt? Always? Do you ever make it through a day without sin? You, you make it through a day ever without sinning? Are you always completely obedient to the Lord in every way? I told you that the answers to that, those questions wouldn't be too hard, right? And you say, well, thanks a lot, Kevin, for the encouragement. Thanks for reminding me that I'm not the follower of Christ that I wish I was, right? We don't need, you didn't need me to come and remind you of that today, but I do that because, because I have encouragement for you today from God's Word. You see, the Lord knows that you and I are not the followers of Christ that we would like to be at all times. He knows that you don't always have the faith that you wish you had. He knows you don't make it through a day without sin. And knowing what he does, would it surprise you to hear that God takes great joy over the faith and the obedience that you do have? We know, and I think sometimes we know too well, that God is grieved when we sin. We grieve our Heavenly Father. Like, like earthly parents are grieved when their children sin, right? Our Heavenly Father, even more so, I think, is grieved when we sin. We know that. But I think sometimes we dwell on that. And we think, there's no way God could possibly be pleased with me. I struggle. I'm here to help correct that thinking today because that's what God's Word does for us today. Knowing what God knows, knowing that He knows about us, it might surprise us to know that God takes great joy and great satisfaction and He blesses even the little faith that you do have. Even those small steps of obedience. I want you to go with me to John chapter 17. John's Gospel in chapter 17, we, we paused from our study in John's Gospel last Sunday. We come back to it this morning, a very short break from this study in John's Gospel. Looking at verses 6 through 9 this morning, picking up from where we left off a couple of Sundays ago, looking at verses 6 through 9 in John 17, we're going to gain, I think, an encouraging perspective as we find Jesus he switches from praying for himself. We saw that in those first five verses. He was praying for himself, but not selfishly. He switches from praying for himself in those first five verses to praying for his disciples, the eleven. And there's an encouraging perspective, I think, to be gained as we look at God's word this morning, that though we don't always find ourselves where we know we ought to be in our walk with Christ, where there, is, where there is faith, where there is a measure of faith, where there is a measure of obedience, even a small measure, you have a Savior who finds joy in the faith and obedience that you do have. 
Jesus prays in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Our last time together here in John 17, we open this chapter by noting the beginning of this joyful prayer. And I call this a joyful prayer of Jesus and not a mournful one as some see it because Jesus is looking ahead to the cross and that's why I think some see it as a mournful prayer. He's looking ahead to the cross and and there he will grieve as he's punished for our sins, right? But I see it in a different light, and I, and I hope you see it that way too, that this is a joyful prayer of Jesus because he's looking ahead in victory. And he speaks as if, as if the victory is already complete. He looks ahead and he knows that he will accomplish the purpose for which the Father has sent him. He knows he will accomplish the job he was sent to do. Jesus would go to the cross and he would bear the punishment for our sins and he would die there. And he would be buried. But then God would raise him from the dead on the third day. We, we celebrated that last Sunday, right? In fact, we ought to celebrate that every Sunday. That's why we meet on Sundays, because Jesus rose today, right? We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he did not remain in the grave. He is victorious. And Jesus, as he prays this prayer, is looking ahead to the victory. And so I say this is a joyful prayer. And he begins to pray for his disciples. And his resurrection, of course, would mean that he was victorious over the world, victorious over sin. We talked about that back in chapter 16 and verse 33 victorious over sin and death and hell, just as we heard Jesus when he encouraged his disciples not to lose heart there at the end of chapter 16, telling them, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. He's not yet been crucified. And yet he says, I have overcome the world. I've overcome sin and hell and death because I am accomplishing the purpose for which the Father sent me. And then here in verses, in the verses here in chapter 17, beginning in verse 6, Here in verse, actually go back to verse 1 of chapter 17. Jesus prays this. Back in chapter, uh, here in chapter 17, back in verse 1, Father, he says, the hour has come, the hour has come, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Meaning, the hour, the appointed time of his suffering and death and punishment for our sins That appointed hour, appointed by the Father, has come, and he's very near that time that he will be crucified. And he says his death, this point here is that his death will glorify God, and that by his sacrifice, he would be glorified. And then in verse 4, here in this chapter, chapter 17, in verse 4, Jesus prays, saying, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work 
that you gave me to do. He's talking as if it's complete and done because he knows it is. He will be victorious. And though it's not yet, at this point, finished, Jesus has not yet been crucified and then raised from the dead. To him, it's as good as finished. It's as good as done. Because he knows. He knows. He's going to carry through to the end. He will be completely faithful to the Father's wishes. And Jesus Christ remains faithful to the purpose for which God the Father had sent him, faithful to the very end. And that's where we're different from Christ. You realize that? That's where we and all of Christ's followers find it very difficult to be like him. He was obedient in every way. He was the spotless, sinless lamb of God, sacrificed for our sins, undeserving, undeservingly so. He was faithful to the very end. But we're not always faithful to the very end, are we? We find it difficult to be faithful throughout the day, right? We often have times when we fall terribly short of faithfulness to Christ, and we're not alone. But you might not think that Jesus' disciples could be numbered among those who are like us. You might not think that Jesus' disciples could be like us when you read verses 6 through 9 of John 17 like we just did. If you were to separate those verses from from the Gospels, you might think, hmm, those are pretty good guys. (laughs) They've done okay. If you didn't know anything about the disciples, you might think from reading these verses that that these guys had it all together. You might think they never faltered in their faith. But you would only think that if you'd only read these verses and never the rest of the Gospel of John, right? We've already seen it in John's Gospel. We're going to see more of it in John's Gospel. If you'd never read the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would think, if only reading these verses, these guys are perfect. You see, reading John's Gospel and reading the other Gospels will make it very clear to you that these men whom Christ chose to be his disciples, the ones who would carry on the work after him as he, after he ascended into heaven, these he chose to be his disciples. Even they struggled to keep it all together in their walk with Christ. Even those who spent the most time with him We're imperfect in their walk with Christ. We're imperfect in their faith. But look at how gracious Christ is in his prayer for the disciples here. Look at verse 6. Jesus prays, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Pause right there for a moment. Note that Jesus says here that he had manifested God's name to them. And his name signifies everything that God is. It's the idea that that he reveals everything that God is to them. He's manifested the name of God to them. In other words, Christ has made God known to them. Now we know, because of passages like Colossians 1 and verse 15, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. And so we would expect that being with Christ, they would see God. Right, But he went further and he revealed the truth about God to them and and manifested the name of God to them. And by his very being with them and by his instruction and by his teaching of doctrinal truth to them and by his working of miracles in their midst that they could 
observe and see who he was, Christ made the name or the whole being of God known to them. And then he goes on in verse 6, praying, Yours they were, and you gave them to me. So here are these disciples he's praying for, and in fact all followers of Christ are a gift from God to the Son, and that's an amazing truth in and of itself. But then Jesus prays something something else that's amazing in verse 6. Look at the rest of verse 6. And they have kept your word. How many times have you read that passage and breezed right by that? And they have kept your word. How does Jesus mean they have kept your word? Does he mean that they had been always completely obedient and would always be completely obedient? Does he, does he mean that? It can't mean that because we know that here in just a few hours from when he's praying with the disciples, in just a few hours, he's going to be taken from them and cruelly treated and crucified and killed. And where will the disciples be? Hiding under a rock, right? Running for fear. Will they be at his side all the way? No, they won't be. And he knows they won't be. Even though they might think they will be. He knows they're still weak. They're going to flee at the first sign of trouble. And they're going to deny him. That They're going to deny that they even know him. So how does Jesus mean they have kept your word? Jesus means they have heard and they have seen what he had manifested to them and revealed to them about God. And they had, I think this is what he's getting at, they had believed. They had believed what he had to tell them. They had believed. But how do we know this? How do we know that that's what he means here? Look at verse 7. First we see here that they knew that everything Christ had made known to them was from God. Look at verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Now they know. Now they know. Now they know. Have you ever said that? Oh, now I get it. See, he looks at them and their believing hearts, and he says, now they know. Now they know, says Jesus. They haven't always known, and they don't completely know even now. They've had their doubts at times as to who I was. They've questioned me as to why I was doing certain things. But now they know that everything that you've given me comes from you. Now they know that I'm on a mission from God the Father because I have manifested the name of God to them. Now they know. Now, this is not to suggest that they've got it all figured out. And I think we understand it because we know the rest of the story, right? But there's a measure of faith on their part. There are steps of obedience on their part. They don't have it all figured out. They don't completely know. They don't completely understand. And they're not completely righteous and perfect. But they believe. They believe. So Jesus graciously, I think, and joyfully, I think, says in verse 6, they have kept my word. 
How gracious Jesus is. He didn't say, and sometimes they've kept my word. He says, they have kept my word. How gracious and joyful of Jesus. But how did they come to know, right? How did they come to know? How did they come to know and have a measure of faith? Maybe not a powerful faith that would keep them from running and hiding when Jesus was taken from them, but some faith. How did they come to that measure of faith that they did have? How did they come to know? Well, for first Jesus, and this is so important, you know, Jesus is the light of life, right? So first, Jesus gives truth. He gives light. He opens the eyes of understanding. First, Jesus gave them truth. He had to reveal the truth to them, the words that God had given him to give to them. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Jesus, Jesus says this, For I have given them the words that you gave me. You see, Jesus gives the words of truth. Jesus gives the light. And in that word-giving, truth-giving, light-giving action, he opens the eyes of understanding. But that's not all. That's not all that had to happen either. In verse 8, Jesus goes on to pray. And note, there's a progression here. He goes on to say, and they have received them. I have given them the words that you gave me. And that next step, they have received them. Jesus says, I've given them the words, and they received them. They heard them. They listened. And they received the teaching that Jesus had given them. In other words, they listened. They did not reject his words, but accepted them as truth. They didn't totally understand them. They struggled with that. And yet, they accepted the words that Jesus gave them. And then Jesus prays, keep going in verse 8, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. So they received the words, they accepted them, but then they also came to know. And I think what we see here going on is that they came to understand. Maybe not fully, not completely, obviously not, but in some measure, as God reveals truth to them through the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, as their eyes are open, they're coming to understand, and they were confident that the words which Christ taught them were from God. These are God's words. We've got to listen. He's going too fast. This is important. We know it is. But Lord, wait. Right? And even though they didn't fully understand them, Jesus goes on to say, continuing in verse 8, and they have believed. That's important. And they have believed that you sent me. You see, they believed. Christ gave them the words of God. And the disciples had received them. And they had come to know. says verse 8. And understand, that's, that's light to the heart, light to the eyes. To understand that these, these were God's words, and then they believed that Jesus was from God, that Jesus was not one of them in a way, in a very real way, right? That Jesus was from God. And because of this, Jesus begins this part of his prayer for the disciples, taking great joy in this, saying in verse 6, they have kept your word. 
Isn't that wonderful? They have kept your word. We know that they have totally kept his word. We know that they're imperfect and not totally understanding. And we know they're going to run at the first shot, right? Were these men without fault? Absolutely not. Not by any means. Were they completely faith-filled and strong and completely faithful to Christ to the very end, end of his life? Absolutely not. In fact, it was back in John 13 that Peter was warned by Christ. Go back to John 13 for a moment. Remember the warning by Christ to Peter that he would deny him? It's the first we hear of this, and it seems early, doesn't it, in John's Gospel? You have to understand, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all compress over, over a, this is actually a short period of time that we're seeing this truth. John 13, and verses 36 through 38, Simon Peter said to, to Christ, said to him, Lord, where are you going? Because Christ is trying to warn them, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you, I'm gonna have to leave you, you're gonna be left without me. But don't lose heart, right? And, and losing heart, Simon Peter says, but where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? And then this bold statement, like Peter makes, I will lay down my life for you. In other words, wherever you're going, I'll go all the way. I will be with you to the end. You can count on me. Jesus, I got your back. Right? In verse 38, Jesus answered, Will you? Will you lay down your life for me? And then this solemn warning that had to ring in Peter's ears as he was rejecting Christ, saying, I don't know him. Truly, Truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So just one example of one of the disciples. And we know that Peter did deny Christ three times. And we know that the other disciples fled when Jesus was taken to be crucified. And Jesus knows they, were, they are still weak. Even now, as he prays this prayer that we see here in chapter 17... And this is why he's praying for them. They need his prayers. You see, they need strength. They need the wisdom of God. They need the words that he's given them. They need to grow in their faith to become courageously obedient, and they will. They are going to become courageously obedient. They will be transformed as they obey Christ and walk with him, and especially after the Spirit is given to them. And even though we heard Jesus tell the disciples that he would leave them, he said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send the helper, right? The Spirit. I'm going to send the helper. And in fact, Jesus told them, you're actually going to be far better off without me with the Spirit. Because the Spirit's going to be in you. Enlightening, strengthening, encouraging, bringing life and growth, right? As you obey He said they'd be better off even than having Him present with them. And even so, even so, even knowing that they'll receive the Spirit later and they'll be better off without Him in their midst, He, he goes on to pray this prayer for them because He knows 
they need him to pray for them. And then he says in verse 9, I am praying for them. He's talking about the 11. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, they are yours. And that's sweet. That's precious. Jesus says of the disciples, they are yours. Judas is gone, right? He's already left to do, to do his dark deed, betraying Jesus. And Jesus says of the 11, they are yours. And we'll see it when we get to verse 11, that Jesus will pray for the Father to keep them in his name. And that, that is a, a wonderful truth, an amazing truth that I'm not going to preach about today. Maybe next time, right? That is a powerful truth in and of itself. But he prays for them in verse 11, keep them, keep them in your name, Father, for they're yours. But what an encouragement we have here to see that though the disciples were not yet where they need to be, not yet even where they should be for having been with Christ. I mean, in our, from our perspective, we think, come on, disciples. I mean, you've been with Jesus. You should be here by now, right? You should know better. <laughs> we would have been just like them, right? Had we been in their shoes. But how encouraging here to see that though the disciples are not yet where they ought to be, nonetheless, Christ is pleased with their faith. He's, he's pleased by their obedience. And he graciously prays to the Father, they have kept your word. And though their faith is small and yet untested, and when it is tested, it will fail at first, Christ is still pleased with the faith that they do have. He knows they're going to flee at the first sign of trouble, but he says, Father, they've kept your word. I'm pleased. Care for them. Watch over them. Keep them. And how encouraged I am when I learn that the Lord finds great joy in and even blesses even Mustard seed-sized faith. And we get a glimpse of how the Lord blesses our faith in just, there's a few passages. I was looking at these in Luke, and I just a few examples, as I read in Luke this week, just three examples of how God blesses just a little bit of faith. For example, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 48, in response to the woman who touched the hem of his garment, remember that? Great crowds. She's like, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, maybe I'll be healed. If I could just touch the hem, just a little bit of Jesus. And she does. And Jesus says, who touched me? I felt power go out. I know. In Luke 8, 48, in response to that woman who touched the hem of his garment, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Just a little just a little touch. Your faith has made you well. In Luke 17 and verse 19, to the one of ten, remember the ten lepers who were healed and they all went off, yay, we're you know, healed. And one said, wait, we should go back. 
and thank the one who healed us and praise God. And he did and they didn't. And Luke 17, verse 19, Jesus says of the man and says to the man who, who had leprosy and had been healed and turned back to praise God, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. What did the what did the, the man with leprosy do? Nothing. He just believed and God healed him. And then in Luke 18, in the account of the blind beggar, we find this exchange when Jesus says, Luke 18, verses 41 and 42, what do you want me to do for you? And the beggar cried out, help me. What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. He didn't even say, heal me. He said, let me recover my sight. Let me have my sight back. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. How do you feel about your faith today? It's likely, if you're like most of us, you feel like you're not always as strong as you should be. Well, you aren't alone. The disciples are there with you, right? Multitudes of believers who have gone before you are there too. Even those that we would look to and say, those are the great, the great Christ followers. Those are heroes of the faith. You ought to read about some of their lives. Even they struggled, right? And how thankful I am that though my faith is not as strong as it should be, that the Lord takes joy in and blesses the little faith that I have. And yours too. Are you thankful? Does it, does it make you want to be more faithful? That's my prayer for you. That you would look to him and say how good and gracious and loving you are. That you would rejoice over my puny faith. My little faith. That you would bless my faith. God, how gracious you are. So may we, who are followers of Christ, seek to be like the disciples, who as they received, verse 8, the words of Christ, came to know and understand that these were God's words, and then they believed that Jesus was from God. May we be like them. as God gives us the truth, as he illuminates with his word. May we too receive and accept God's words and know them as God's words to us and believe them and then grow in them and show that we're growing in them by our obedience to God, by those words of truth. You see, the Lord is pleased by your faith. He's pleased today for the faith that you have. And he blesses your faith. And even as he prayed for the disciples on that day, we know that Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, and guess what? He intercedes in prayer for you today. And he looks at his children and he says, Father, keep them. I thank, I thank you, Father, 
that you gave them to me. They were yours. You gave them to me. And I have given them the truth that you have given to me. And they have kept your word. Jesus now prays for you and me. If you're his child, he's praying for you. And he praises God and he's joyful and thankful that you have faith. And you have obedience. No, we aren't where we ought to be at all times, are we? But will this compel us to seek to be faithful to the Lord? I trust it will. And I pray to that end.